0: Welcome to Pioneering Today with me, Melissa K. Norris, where I inspire your faith and your pioneer roots. I show you how to grow your own food, heirloom gardening, how to preserve your food at home, and modern homesteading. Tune in every other Friday as I share proven strategies that anyone can do to live the pioneer lifestyle. Make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com and subscribe to receive free Pioneering Today articles and updates. How many of you want to know how to grow your own food? Uh, For many people, this is a huge thing, being able to grow your own food. Um, It helps us become more self-sustainable, more prepared, greatly lowers our food bill, Um, you know, helps us save money, be more frugal. But the other thing about growing your own food is one, I get great enjoyment out of growing my own food. And then secondly, You also actually, the food that you grow at home when you're able to harvest it from the vine and bring it right from the garden to the table actually has more nutrients and vitamins and is healthier for you, even more healthier than what you get at a farmer's market, you know, organic or a CSA because the minute we harvest our food or take it off of the vine, um, it starts to break down and lose its nutrients. So the sooner you can consume it from when it's been picked. It has its most health health in um, it. Anyway, so I actually did um, a podcast on that. It was our very first podcast episode of Pioneering Today. So if you'd like to catch back episodes or look at all of the episodes that we have done, you can go to melissaknorris.com. Click on the podcast button at the top of the page and then you will see all of the previous episodes um, so you can go back and listen to those. So if you're curious about the health benefits of growing your own food in greater detail, then you can check out actually episode number one. So on today, we're gonna talk about 10 easy steps to growing your own food. I know a lot of people are really interested in growing their own food. If they aren't already to some degree, they wanna take it up another notch or a lot of you are really interested in starting to grow your own food and are just beginning. So I hope this will have tips for both the beginner gardener and then the gardener who's been a lifelong gardener. Um, So I'm really excited to get going on that. So probably the most important thing that you need to know when you're starting to grow a garden is your last frost date. So that is going to let you know when to plant almost everything, um, and help you gauge around that. So I will have in the resource section of the show notes, um, which is again at com under podcast. And this is going to be episode number 24. Um, easy steps to growing your own food. So you can click on that and then you can get all of these. So you need to know what your last frost date is in your area. So there's charts online that will help you with that or you can just ask someone who's been gardening and living where you live for a long time and they can tell you what the average last frost date is. Um, So for here, usually the last frost date is about the end of April on an average weather year where I live in the Pacific Northwest. Um, So we generally put our... Warm weather crops, so these are the things um, that most people you would grow in your regular summer garden, your main garden. Um, Those items that we direct sow, which means um, that we put the seed in the ground, so we're not starting any transplants, not starting any seedlings and putting it in, but we just plant the seed right in the ground and it grows. That's called direct sowing. That's your soil temperature, not the air temperature, but your soil temperature needs to be, at least 60 degrees for most of those crops to germinate and then grow. So for us, that usually is about mid-May, even up to the first week of June sometimes, just kind of depending upon the year. So we usually just averagely plant all of our direct so warm weather crops, um, uh, Memorial weekend actually is when we usually do that. So you need to know that last frost date because it's, it's really important um, to the success of your garden. And then there's lots of other things that you can put in before the last frost date. So you need to know your last frost date so then you can count backwards for your area to know when you can put those in. So for instance, here, um, potatoes can go in anywhere from um, March On up through May, if you want to have a later harvest, um, you can even stagger plant. So we actually, um, right now we're in April. So we just planted our potatoes this weekend. And we do, of course, heirloom. So we did some heirloom purple majesty potatoes. So these are the potatoes that are really a deep, deep, dark purple. And because of their color, they have 10 times more antioxidants in them um, than your regular white potatoes. So we really love those. Plus they're really fun. They make purple mashed potatoes. And if you make cream potato soup, then it's kind of this lavender color, um, purple French fries. So the kids get a, a kick out of that um, as well. So those are kind of fun. So that's what we put in this weekend. Um, and if you've never planted potatoes, I have um, how to grow and plant your potatoes because there's a few things with potatoes that you need to know when you're planting. Um, so if you'd like to catch that resource with pictures and full tutorials, you can do that at com, and you click on homestead life. And then there's a whole gardening section. So you can click on that, the gardening, and it'll bring up all of the different tutorials that we have on gardening that gets a bit more specific. Um, so if you're going to be planting your potatoes, you can put them in anywhere, um, up from two months before your last frost date, provided that your ground is not frozen, um, because some people um, don't have as mild of winter as we do. So here we can put them in quite a bit before the last frost date. Your area might be a little bit different. But you want to be sure that you, um, if you don't have your own seed potatoes, which means you haven't saved your own potatoes to replant every year, which this was our first year we had planted and harvested enough potatoes last year that I had enough to save as my seed potatoes and they were already sprouting actually in storage. So I was able to plant my own seed potatoes this year so I didn't have to buy new seed potato from the store. So I I love being able to do that. We're doing that more and more and more. My goal is to not really have to buy any seeds um, and we can just save and replant from our own stuff and be completely self-sustainable on the garden. So this year we were able to do that with the potatoes. Um, We do that with garlic, um, and then we'll be putting our onions in really soon, and then the beets this weekend um, as well. So for potatoes, you want to have a good seed potato. So what that means is you don't want to buy potatoes from the store because potatoes from the store are not certified seed potatoes, and what that means is they may or may not have um, a virus in them, which doesn't hurt you to eat, but it can infect your soil, and then your soil, you're not going to be able to plant any of the nightshade crops, so tomatoes, potatoes, those kind of things in that soil um, for a number of years because it will become infected with this the virus so um, I know people plant potatoes from the store and they have not had a problem but I know people who have planted potatoes from the store they did have a virus and then they could not use that soil for seven years so I don't like to gamble I would much rather purchase organic certified seed potatoes so you can get those through catalogs online get them from other gardeners or usually a farm and garden store in your area Um, for instance here we have a great farm and garden store down in um, about 40 miles from us so we go down and have gotten ours from there in years past so this year we saved our own so that's my number one thing on on planting potatoes and then further in detail you can go um, to the garden section at most and get that so the next thing after we know what our last frost date is then you need to know what kind of soil you have. So soil is really important for the success of your garden. Uh, I know a lot of you just say, I just want to put my plants in the dirt and get going. Um, But you're going to save yourself a ton of heartache if you do just a little bit of prep work first. So I'm going to go a little bit sciencey on you here. Um, You need to know your soil pH level. So it's either going to be acidic, alkaline, or neutral. Um, there's a lot of do-it-yourself tests at home um, that you can use. You can take your soil usually down to your um, county extension office, and they can test it. Um, and an easy way to know your soil's pH level is if you have a hydrangea plant. So if you have a hydrangea plant and the blossoms are blue, then your soil is acidic. If it's pink, your soil is alkaline. Um so you can also try, there's a number of home tests that people can try using vinegar and baking soda. And I will put that um, link to that to show you how to do that in the show notes. Um, and if you try those tests at home in the same kind of with the hydrangea blossom, it's going to show extremes. So you're not going to get the exact pH level, um, but it'll give you, you know, within a few points or two, it's going to give you a base idea. And that's what we do in our soil. Um, is on the slightly acidic side here in the Pacific Northwest, which is good for a lot of plants. Um, Raspberries and blueberries in particular really like slightly acidic soil, they thrive in that. Um, A few other plants that don't like acidic so much would be um, beets actually like neutral soil, um, which is gonna bring us right into our next point, and that is how to amend your soil. So once you know what your soil's pH level is, then you're going to want to know how to amend that for certain plants um, and to change the pH level. And it's really pretty easy to do this at home. It doesn't, you know, so if your soil is alkaline, then you want to make it more acidic. So the basic goal of this is to get it as close to neutral as possible. And then if something likes acidic or um, more acidic or more alkaline, then you'll add just a little bit more. Um, So... The way to do that is if your soil is alkaline, so you can add citrus peels, you can add peat moss, you can add pine needles, and then you can also actually add um, used coffee grounds. Now, used coffee grounds aren't going to change that, make it very acidic, um, but they really enrich the soil, so it's kind of like a composting with the the bump of um, acidity, and I also have A post explains this in more detail and how to do it um, under the gardening section on melissakanoris.com. Go to Homestead Life and then hit the Gardening tab. So those are really easy ways to make your soil more acidic. But then if your soil is acidic, so where I wanna put my beets in the crops that don't like the acidic soil, you can add um, lime and you can get that at most um, hardware stores, farm and garden, any place like that, you can get lime and it comes in a powder and you work that into the soil. Or you can use wood ash. So if you're using the wood ash from your stove, which we have a wood burning stove, so using wood ash is a great way to get your soil more neutral if it's acidic. And so you'll just want to use the the really fine ash that's been burnt really well. So you you wouldn't want to mix in you know like the huge chunks of wood. It'll break down over time. But when you're if you're right in planting mode, you're going to want to use the nice white burnt ash. And so you're going to mix mix that into the soil. Um, and beets and the brassica plants like more of a neutral soil. So by brassicas, we mean cabbage, broccoli, that kind of the the family there in plants. Um, and then you also want to add um, to your soil is usually some kind of compost or fertilizer. And we do all natural gardening at our house. So we don't buy chemical fertilizer um, or anything like that to put on our soil. So you can add rel- well-rotted manure. So you don't want to add anything fresh um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's going to be too hot, so it will have too much in it, and it will actually burn your plants, uh, plus it stinks. Um, and so and then another thing is, is if the manure isn't well rotted, then it could actually carry seeds from whatever the animal has been eating, and then you're introducing more weeds into your garden. So you want to make sure it's really well rotted, really dry, broken down, um, manure. And chicken and cattle manure is great. Um, leaves and straw mixed in with it that's been allowed to bro- break down is great. Um, and we use mostly from the animals on our farm. So we have chickens. And so from the coop over the winter time when they weren't free ranging, when it was really cold out, that's been allowed to sit for about four or five months with straw in their different bedding. So we're going to take that and then um, Till that in with our soil. You can also use, um, I know, horse manure, um, llama, sheep, so basically any kind of farm animal that manure that you have access to that's been well rotted. Um, And many times, (laughs) I know lots of people when they're cleaning out their stalls and the areas that the animal are kept, if you know anybody and you know that they, you know, feed organic feed and don't have, you know, that kind of a thing going on, um, they would love to just give that to you for free. So a lot of times you can have access like that, you just have to go and haul it um, you can get free m- manure that way to amend your soil. Um, most plants are heavy or nitrogen feeders. So when you're adding the, ma- the animal manure and stuff back into it, it helps add the nitrogen and the organic matter back into your garden soil. And of course, if you have a compost bin, we're going to talk about composting a little bit more um, in an uh, upcoming show um, than compost you know, it's called gardeners black gold compost is a great and wonderful thing. So if you're a composter, then you'll be adding your own compost to your soil as well. Um, and then the third point I want to bring up in um, easy put 10 easy steps to growing your own food is to plant what you eat. I know this might seem kind of obvious, but for instance, if you don't like beets, or you only want like, say, you know, a couple of messes of beets a year, then that's probably not a good investment of your time or your garden space to plant a whole bunch of beets if it's not something that you eat. So if you don't eat a whole lot of it, then don't plant it or just plant a really tiny area. Um, and it can get really easy. Um, I'm gonna, I just get excited <laughs> about gardening. And so a lot of times, I'll just want to be, you know, putting in this and that and and, oh and just a little bit more of that because we might need need more Um, so it's a really good idea to plan out ahead of time what your family eats how much you eat of that throughout the year and then try to plant accordingly um, so that you're harvesting things that your family eats and that you can put up and we'll also be talking about planting a preserver's garden or a canner's garden those kind of plants too um, in some upcoming episodes so I actually have a free chart and a guide um, that helps you decide what and how much to plant for your family because um, it's going to be all very specific and individual to each person in their family and that is free it's called the heirloom gardening guide planting to save money and that's um, over a 40 page free guide to everyone who signs up to my email list so that means once a week you'll get um um all new articles that I've posted blog posts and podcasts come to you just in an email. Um, and you can click and look at all that. And then, um, the occasional awesome deals that I find or, you know, that kind of a thing. So it's a way to get free resources from me every single week. Um, and so if you sign up for my email list, you can do that at com on the right sidebar, and then you'll get the heirloom gardening guide planning to save money for free. And then the other thing is if you're first starting out is to start small, um, a lot of times I just like to jump in with both feet and I just like to do things on a big level and then I make myself crazy once I get into it because I, I realize that I started out way too big and I, I don't have a handle on it yet. Especially with new things. Um, so you're just gonna wanna start with some of the main crops that your family eats the most of. And then once you've mastered that and got a handle on, you know, the the seasons and how that's gonna go for you and your family, then you can add more in. In fact, every year now, um, We have been increasing what we grow at home. So we've increased our garden space. We're actually going to be, I'm very excited about this, putting up a high tunnel, which is kind of like a greenhouse, but without having to have all of the, uh, without a heat source in it and without having to deal with all of the um, fans and and that kind of thing that you wouldn't in a traditional greenhouse. So I am super excited about that. And I will be sharing more about that as it goes up and how to make your own and the benefits and all of that, both on the blog and here on the Um, radio show so um where to get your seed if you're planting y'all know that i am a huge believer in heirloom seeds so um we save our own seed i give that away um on the the website and the blogs if you sign up for the email list you'll know when those giveaways go i typically do them in march to kind of try to um, meet everybody's growing season and get them to you in plenty of time Um, in fact our garden is heirloom plants only i don't plant anything but heirloom Um, two companies that I trust, if you don't have gardening friends that you can get heirloom seed from, um, is Baker Creek heirloom seeds, and then also seeds for generations. And I will have links to those companies in the show notes at melissaknorris.com under the podcast button. Um, and so if you don't know that what an heirloom seed is, then, um, go to melissaknorris.com. You'll also learn about it in the free book. I told you, and you'll have lots of resources in the show notes um, about heirloom seeds, why I believe that they're the best and most self-sustainable, and why it's the only thing that we use and plant. Um, and so we talked about um, also And then, knowing how to read the back of a seed package um, is kind of important. And that's why we talked about knowing when your last frost date is for your area because on the back of the seed packets that you get is going to be information on when you need to plant that plant. And a lot of times it'll also tell you what kind of soil it thrives the best in. So that'll help you pick that out. Um, And then our seventh is um, commit to your garden. You need to know that if you're going to garden, it is going to take time, Um, but it's very manageable. I still work outside the home. We have our meat chickens, egg laying chickens. Um, We raise our own beef cattle. We have two kids. My husband works outside the home. So I just want you to know that no matter how busy you are, you can make time to grow your own food. You really can fit it in. You just are going to have to commit to it. And a great way to do it is just tell yourself that you're going to do one thing every day during the growing season in your garden. So some days it might just be walking through and inspecting things. Other days you're going to be weeding, you're going to be harvesting, you're going to be watering, checking your water level, you know, that kind of a thing. But just tell yourself, okay, I'm going to do one thing every day. And you can do that. Some days there'll be more. If you can't fit more in, just do the one most important thing in your garden at that time. Um, And then my next point is don't be afraid of failure. Um, don't think you have to have the perfect Martha Stewart garden when you first start out. I don't know any of us that have the perfect garden, even now. Um, The most experienced gardeners have plant and crop failure. Gardening is a journey. Every season and every year, you're going to learn more and new things. And then if you have, for instance, my tomatoes had a horrible year last year. So I spent this um, winter, and fall, and even this spring, talking to people who have tomato success, reading books, uh, listening to podcasts, knowing what I need to do differently. So don't let a failure in the garden stop you from learning and pressing on. Look at it as a learning experience and move on. Um, and then another thing that you're going to do is to have a natural pest control plan. So where we live, deers are one of the worst pests to our garden. And then we have cattle who occasionally do get through the fence. Um, and the deer just will annihilate the fruit trees in our vegetable garden. So we keep ours fenced. Um, actually, we have a just... Use some um, metal T posts put in around it and and put up a oh it's probably about three foot fence Um, and then we fence around our fruit trees as well actually and that has worked really well for us in keeping um, the deer away we don't have so much of some of the other pests but another way to do to deal with that is to do companion planting so companion planting is letting nature do what it does best so you plant um, for instance, like with tomatoes, you can plant marigolds next to tomatoes and that will help keep away some of the, the different bugs and stuff that would naturally prey on, prey on tomato plants. So there's a whole science behind companion planting um, and we're going to go more into that as we get um, a little bit closer to doing our direct sowing. And I'm excited to use more companion planting in our garden even this year. Um, and the next tip that I want to talk to you about is don't let the size of your planting space deter you. Not everyone has a huge yard. Not everybody has acreage for planting. Um, But don't let it stop you. You can grow a lot of plants in containers. Even if all you have is a kitchen windowsill, you can grow basil without any dirt and water all year long. So I actually have a tutorial on that at melissaknorth.com, how to grow basil without soil in your windowsill. Um, And there's lots of plants that do really well in containers for um, instance, you can do tomatoes, you can do cucumbers, blueberries, and there's a lot of slower growing blueberry plants that do awesome in containers because blueberries do not have a big, deep, um, complex root system. They have a shallow root system, so you can do blueberries in containers. Strawberries do wonderful in containers. Garlic do good in containers. So there's a lot of plants that you can grow. Herbs do really well in containers as well. So there's a lot of things that you can grow in containers on your back deck or, or, you know, in your yard, wherever you have a little bit of space on your porch. So don't let a small size um, limit you to growing your own food so I hope that you have enjoyed our tips today Um, and then we're going to be also talking about summertime is coming up here which means a little bit nicer weather so we're also going to be talking about different ways to cook outdoors and off the grid so I hope you will um, sign up to hear the rest of those coming up thanks for joining me today Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to pioneering today. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes and make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com to subscribe for free modern homesteading updates to help you live the simple life.